For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I think we got a pretty diverse show for you today, going from coast to coast. Uh, starting out on the East Coast, along the Atlantic Ocean, we'll be talking to Linda Daugherty, who just authored The Golden Age of New Jersey Horse Racing. Now, uh, Linda's been covering thoroughbred racing in New Jersey for more than two decades. Uh, she's written for the Daily Racing Forum, the Blood Horse, the Trentonian, Mid-Atlantic Thoroughbred, the Horse of Delaware Valley, and the racingbiz.com. She's a Jersey native, longtime member of the National Turf Writers. And uh, this is a very, very interesting book, I can tell you that. I didn't realize uh, there was so much history to the, the racing uh, in New Jersey. And, of course, there were some gaps there, too. We'll let Linda tell you about that golden age. And then a, a writer and broadcaster that we've had on many times, and I'm always honored, and that is Jay Privman, who covers the Southern California circuit plus national events like the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup for the Daily Racing Forum. He's authored several books, and this amazingly, he is a six-time winner of the Red Smith Award for Best Kentucky Derby Story. He started working for the Forum uh, back in 1998, and if you've checked the uh, big races of the weekend, on Saturday, the only place you can go to get a couple grade ones is Santa Anita, two champions are going to match strides in what's now called the Vanity Mile. Of course, since the closing of Hollywood Park, some races have been moved around. The Vanity Mile, grade one, $400,000. Last year's three-year-old champion, Stellar Wind, will be in there. You may recall she uh, won the uh, Santa Anita Summer Oaks, the Torrey Pine at Del Mar, and just missed in the Breers' Cup distaff to stop charging Maria by a neck. The other champion in the race, Beholder. Numerous Eclipse Awards. She's now six years old. Her debut was a public workout, and they've been shopping around. Richard Mandela will be bringing her in here to the Vanity Mile, so it'll be interesting. I know that uh, Jay keeps his uh, finger on the pulse of the racing out there in California. Uh, We also have... A win in your end race, yep, it's that time of season for those. And uh, that is the Shoemaker Mile, a grade one, $400,000. We'll see who uh, Jay likes in there. Certainly heart-to-heart has to be considered very dangerous. 21 lifetime starts, nine wins, and earnings of over $786. Well, whatever track you like to play, make sure you come on over to winningponies.com. Best tool we have, and we have many of them, in my opinion, is the easy win form. Now, 
next Saturday, of course, the Belmont Stakes, and we have been hot at Belmont. How about this? On the 27th, a $1 super returned over $17,000, and three days later, a $1 super box, 6246 and also at Belmont, a $1 super key, $3,705. Now, remember, next week, both Friday and Saturday, the majority of the Belmont cards will be stakes races. And, of course, on, on Saturday, most of those will be graded stakes races. So large pools, good odds, pull down your easy win forms. <clears throat> well, you might be wondering where the Derby winner is. He is scheduled to fly back to Southern California on Sunday. Of course, he's uh, remained at Pimlico since they found out uh, that he had a high white blood cell count. They said he's responded well to treatment. He's going to have light exercise before being flown to California. And from what I understand, he uh, jogged at Pimlico uh, today. So, you know, Neil's taking it easy with him. I mean, the horse only lost one race in its career, and it happened to be one of the classics. So... Uh, Doug O'Neill says they gave him a few extra days to recover. The illness is behind him. He's off all antibiotics, and the last blood work was good. So should be in California, back with Doug O'Neill's other horses on Sunday. They uh, haven't decided exactly where they're going to go. Of course, they've got a lot of options, uh, you know, uh, and during the summer, you've got uh, more of the three-year-old stakes seem to be on, on the West Coast. Uh, you've got uh, the $600,000 Jim Dandy on July 30th, the $1.2 million Travers, the Midsummer Derby. That's August 27th. And let's not forget the Haskell Invitational, $1 million on the line, and that is July 31st. There's just not that many lucrative stakes for three-year-olds on the dirt out at Del Mar. Potentially, he could go in the San Diego Handicap or the Pacific Classic. I got a feeling we're going to see him heading east to uh, pull down some of those bigger pots and uh, face his own division, the three-year-olds. So uh, we're going to ask Jay what's going on at Belmont. I see he's been posting stories all over. Uh, The uh, Japanese representative, Lanny, put in another long breeze. He walks around the track about one and a half times, and then he gallops. He's out there for about 45 minutes. Uh, the gray son of Tappet earned an official time of 102 and 1 for five furlongs, galloping out six furlongs in 115 and 4. <clears throat> so he, uh, we'll see if he's fit. They always, you know, as much exercise as he's gotten over the uh, road through the Triple Crown, uh, we uh, think that he's uh, fit and ready to roll for a mile and a half. Um, while he was stretching his legs, uh, Three other contenders, Creator, Cherry Wine, and Brody's Cause, each arrived by van in New York from Churchill Downs in good order. So um, they're, they're starting to ship in. They're going to get uh, familiar with the Belmont Strip. It is very different. There's a reason why they call it Big Sandy. It's a, it's a little bit of a different composition of, of a track. So uh, we'll be running down the field uh, with Jay Privman and get his uh, read on the uh, Derby and the Preakness and, of course, the upcoming Belmont. Jockey Tracy Bear, who's had quite the storied past, is making another comeback. Now, uh, he 
did get out of jail for driving under the influence, and now he's determined to stay clean. He's making a new life for himself at Arapahoe Downs. I remember most when he raced at uh, at Thistledown and some of the Kentucky tracks. Of course, uh, Tracy from a BB gun accident got his eye shot out at the age of 12. And so he's a one-eyed rider. Some states have kind of banned him for that. A lot of different things have happened. Uh, but already he's won six races, uh, adding to his 3,800 at the Colorado track. So uh, one of those uh, story Louisiana bush Cajuns that come up. Uh, uh, Tracy Bear. we wish you nothing but the best. I mean, he was talented enough to win titles at Ellis and Turfway. Uh, one time he was third in the standings at Churchill Downs. And I uh, won numerous titles at Thistledown, so we do wish him nothing but the best. The Mike Venezia Memorial Award, the 2016 recipient, would be Mario Pino. This award was established in '89, and it, it uh, is a very uh, well received award by the jockeys. Uh, Pino has now collected 6,713 wins. In his career, uh, this race is uh, named in honor of Mike Venezia, who died as a result of injuries in a spill back in 1988. And it's for a rider that shows a lot of uh, quality and class. Pino's now 54 years old. He's a native of Wilmington, Delamere, and he's had a remarkable career. Uh, once winning seven races in a single day at Colonial Downs and a six-win day, uh, the following year at Laurel. So uh, he was the leading rider at Delaware in 79 and 80. He's had quite the career. Now, the first Venezia Award was awarded to him after his death in 1989. Other winners are John Court, uh, Johnny Velasquez, and Ramon Dominguez. So he's in there with some very good company. Jackie Flavian Pratt scored a 43% win rate last week and won three stakes. So he got named Jockey's Guild Jockey of the Week, and deservedly so. We'll be bringing up one of the races that he won in, in our stake review. Uh, it's just a, an amazing week. Right now he's right behind the perennial top jock now on the West Coast, Rafael Bayorano. Uh, some breeding news. Uh, not for love passed away. Of course, he had not been breeding the last few years, but in Maryland, what an amazing horse he is. Uh, he was a stakes place full brother to champion rhythm and graded stakes winner Get Lucky, the grand dam of Super Saber. Quite a family, and of course, not for love is very close up. He is the sire of the dam of California Chrome. Uh, he is far and away the uh, all-time Maryland sire leader. And uh, on Maryland Millions Day, all you had to do was bet his offspring. They were unbelievable. So uh, he's going to be uh, uh, missed in Maryland. Welcome to Florida, though, is Ride on Curlin. That's right, the classic place. Ride on Curlin is going to be standing at Pleasant Acres Stallions in Morriston, Florida. Of course, the 211th base son of Curlin has earned 200 $795,000 in 22 career starts. And we all know that Curlin is one of the hot sires right now. We'll see if he's a sire of sires. So a ride on Curlin is heading to Florida, and we'll see what he's the first Curlin to stand there. Now, last week 
we did have Tom Lamara on with us, and we looked at uh, some of the races from uh, from around the country. And uh, let's uh, see how we did. Uh, both of us thought that, are you kidding me? In the Eclipse, the grade two race up at Woodbine, was the horse to beat. This horse is amazing on turf or synthetic and uh, got the job done. It, two years in a row now, are you kidding me, has captured the Eclipse. In the second spot was Breaking Lucky, winner of the Prince of Wales. And in third, Tom's pick, Melmet. She tried to get an upsetter in there. Then we went to Arlington Park, the Arlington Matron, a grade three. The winner there on the inside flip cup got the job done. This horse loves a synthetic racing track, and I got it up there. Uh, In the second spot was No Fault of Mine, who got fanned wide for a good portion of the race, and finishing third was Brooklyn's Way, horse I kind of liked. And then uh, in the Arlington Classic, did a dramatic finish. It was surgical strike, getting up by a head. Mate, got a lot of people happy, eight to five. So uh, came away, uh, the, the favorite got the top job. Uh, speed down on the rail was two-step sign, but it set it up for that tremendous finish by one mean man and swagger jagger. Again, that was uh, the Arlington Classic. So that's a look at last week's racing. Again, we'll be uh, covering uh, Santa Anita with the Daily Racing Forms, Jay Privman. But before we do that, we're going to find out about what's going on in Joyzy. That's right, the golden age of New Jersey horse racing, written by Linda Daugherty. And I see that Linda is with us now. So we're going to take a little bit of a break here on Winning Ponies, and we'll be right back to you. School to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with us now also is Linda Darty, the author 
of the Golden Age of New Jersey horse racing. As I told you at the top of the show, she's been covering thoroughbred racing in New Jersey for more than two decades, uh, writing for The Form, The Blood Horse, and numerous other publications. She's a New Jersey native and a longtime member of the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters Association. She's also owned and bred thoroughbreds. So with no further ado, Linda Darty, welcome to Winning Ponies. Oh, thanks for having me, John. Well, um, before we get on to this uh, really nice and easily readable book, because you're talking to me, and if I can get through a book as fast as I did, uh, so it's uh, it's pretty easy and it's nice. It's got photos, which you know, books that I read, I all should have photos in them. But because uh, since I'm a photographer and a collector, but uh, tell us a little bit about your background. What was the lure to get you uh, into the sport of kings? Well, I was a uh a horse-crazy young girl, as uh, there are, are so many. And um, for some reason, um, I picked up, I found a racing form, and I taught myself how to read the past performances, and I got, I guess, I'm talking about maybe 12, 12 years old or so. And I was just so intrigued with it that I started to um, go to the, um, actually it was Mama's Park with my father and grandfather, and um, that's kind of how I got into it, and I started subscribing to all the magazines, like the Maryland Horse, and, and taught myself pedigrees, and just went from there. And um, when I went to college, I was an English major, and the only thing I wanted to do was write for the racing form. And it's actually a funny story when I, and this was before the the age of the internet, when you could look up um, uh, companies that were hiring. I um, the day after I graduated, I just sent off my resume unsolicited to the racing floor and it happened to land on an, edit- an editor's desk and he was looking for somebody and he called me and it was like one resume to the racing form and that's how I, I got started so it was kind of a funny funny beginning but um, it- it's always been fun to work in an area where you have a lot of interest and that's been my whole career has been horses and um, you know so- it's not, it hasn't been like working. Let's put it that way. <laughs> there you go. There you go. If you're in racing, you don't. You're not really uh, in, in working in a, in a coal mine. That's for sure. Well, uh, <laughs> that's right. Your book is extremely well researched. I, I will tell you and remind our listeners: we're talking to Linda Doherty, the Golden Age of New Jersey horse racing. Uh, something that uh, kind of surprised me is that. Uh, Jersey's horse racing reached back to 1699, uh, where you researched and verified uh, the Middletown Cup, and uh, that the state was one of the first in the United States to foster uh, a breeding, a thoroughbred stock. Uh, great research, but interesting information. I had no idea. Yeah, and one of those original farms, uh, it used to be Rancocca Stud. It's in Jobstown. It's actually still there. And um, it, it's not used for thoroughbreds anymore, but um, it's uh, the buildings and um, the barns are still standing, and it's never been developed. So um, I, used, uh, every once in a while, I'll take a ride past there and, and to see it. And that's where um, Pierre Lorillard, he he was one of the um, prominent breeders around the turn of the century. He that was his farm, and um, so it, it, Jersey's. Um, Breeding and racing roots go back very, you know, he's one of the, actually, Jersey was one of the most prominent states uh, on the East Coast, at least, for racing and breeding. 
Uh, again, you, you did some great research, but uh, you, your writing style keeps it very interesting. It's not dry at all um, when you bring up some of the names of these amazingly uh, uh, great horses that that had match races uh, like Fashion and Paytona and uh, the situations that brought different horses uh, uh, together. Um, you know, so... When Jersey racing started, was it primarily to draw people from Philadelphia? Though I know that down the road, as tracks were developed, the idea was we need to get a pipeline from New York. But at at first, was it basically just a a statewide attraction? Yeah. One of the old, old racetracks, it's not there anymore. It it wasn't even given a name. It was just called the Camden Philadelphia track. And... um, it was to because Philadelphia was so had such a big um, population, and that's what it the track drew from was Philadelphia. And so when you, uh, when racing was uh, legalized again, and because racing had been banned at the tail end of the 1800s, it, um, paramutual wagering and racing was banned in New Jersey. And then it it wasn't until 50 years later when it. Um, well, actually, in 1939, when a, an amendment was passed to legalize it again, because the state realized it wasn't getting at that paramutual tax revenue. So one of the first um, tracks to be built after the 39 amendment was passed was Garden State Park, and Eugene Morey decided to build it right. It was it's not actually in Camden. It was in um, Delaware Township, and which is today is Cherry Hill. And his idea was to draw from Philadelphia. And... Um, then, then they were off and running, and after Garden State and Monmouth and Atlantic City, and then finally the Meadowlands, and now Garden, uh, Garden and Atlantic City are don't well. Garden's gone, and Atlantic City doesn't doesn't run a meet anymore. It's probably going to be torn down. I, I would assume at some point, but Monmouth, Monmouth and the Meadowlands are still there. And, and what really inter- interested me when I was writing this book was the four men who were responsible responsible for bringing these four tracks to fruition. They, they had such interesting backgrounds. I probably could have written double what I did um, because all of them had, um, like, um, Eugene Morey, excuse me, Eugene Morey was a very, he was a rags-to-riches um, tale. His parents were very poor yeah. uh, Italian immigrants, and he, he was a self-made millionaire by the time he decided to, apply for a license and build Garden State, and Amory Haskell, who uh, was responsible for bringing Mammoth Park to fruition, he was a, he was the complete opposite of Maury. He was a, came from, uh, his father was a millionaire, and he was a millionaire, and he was a horseman, and then John B. Kelly Jr., who, who um, helped bring Atlantic City, he, uh, he built it because he was a at a brick company, in addition to being an Olympic rower and father of Princess Grace of Monaco. And then Sonny Werblin, who helped bring Meadowlands, um, he helped build that Meadowlands right there in the Hackensack. Um, they call it the swamp up there, but they used it as a dumping ground. So, um, and he was, he had been a, a, um, an agent for, and owned the Jets, and he had John Amos, and you know, the, the four the four men that were that I wrote about were like I said I could have written twice as twice as much as I as I did but I tried to focus on their bringing the tracks you know getting the tracks up and running so 
it, it was a it was a lot of fun to research. Let's put it that way. And, and there's a nice appendix at the end that kind of uh, takes you through uh, the decades. Uh, the one thing that did did shock me when I started the book is just reading the back that uh, that racing was banned for nearly half a century in New Jersey. Right. Yeah, it was like a, a lot of religious groups, and um, you know, it like there was a lot of factors that went into banning it, but. Like I said, eventually the state realized that they were mix, missing out on all that tax revenue from betting, so they decided to bring it back again. Well, that will bring them back. Now, what is, I, I know that when, these, when the tracks were up and running and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, gambling started to proliferate and then Atlantic City specifically, but then the states around it uh, obviously are eroding away uh, the uniqueness of the ability to go bet at a track. Um, what is the state of racing in New Jersey now? And, and Linda Doherty, what do you see for the future? Not that you've got a crystal ball on your lap. Oh, well, it, the future, unless um, New Jersey gets some, allows um, some type of uh, VLT or slot machine gaming outside of Atlantic City, uh, Mammoth Park and the Meadowlands, they don't, they're not in receipt of a lot of that gambling revenue that, uh, like Pennsylvania tracks, New York, Delaware, um, they, they, all their purses are uh, supplemented by the, the gaming revenue, which Mammoth, Mammoth and the Meadowlands aren't. That they're, the, the problem with New Jersey always has been the... Lawmakers in New Jersey are very protective of Atlantic City. They see Atlantic City, and, and they've had some very powerful men in South Jersey protecting Atlantic City's interests. They, they felt like if they legalized gambling outside of Atlantic City, it would hurt Atlantic City as a resort. So that's always been the problem. And, like, just recently, this past weekend, uh, Mammoth Park had a three-day food truck festival, which drew more than 60,000 people Last wow. year and this year, they, um, there was a lot of reports on how handle and attendance has, was down substantially from the um, from last year. So it, it just seems like year after year, you know, they still present high quality racing, but like purses at Monmouth are down this year, and it you just have to wonder how. You know, of course, I hope that they they are around forever, but without some some kind of help, I don't, uh, you can't, it's hard to tell what's going to happen with them. I, Mammoth Park is such a beautiful racetrack that it would be a real shame for anything to happen to it. So Yes, I can verify that. I used to go there with my brother Bob years ago. We'd drive down from Albany, New York, and it really was a, uh, a quaint place with a good atmosphere. Well, Linda Doherty, the golden age of New Jersey horse racing it's a book worth reading for any horse player or people that like to know more about the game. How do we get your book? I've only got about a minute left to find out. Um, it's available on Amazon, and there's a print book and the e-book right on Amazon. That's the only, the only place it's, um, um, it's available, so it's pretty easy to remember. <laughs> Well, again, Linda, I, I'm going to highly recommend this book uh, uh, to, our, to our listeners, uh, particularly those on the East Coast. I know uh, that now that I've gone through it, I'm going to 
pass it on to my friend whose Twitter account is at Jersey Tom. Uh, you may know oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> One Tom Lamara, the news editor of the Blood Horse. He's going to eat this thing up uh, because that's where he cut his teeth at the races. So, Linda Darty, uh-huh. thank you so much uh, for joining us, and I wish you nothing but success on the book, and let's hope people keep going to the races in New Jersey. Oh, you said it, John. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. That was Linda Doherty. She's written a book, but I know a guy that's an award-winning writer and a correspondent for the Daily Racing Forum that's going to join us. He has many times. He's a great guy. I consider him a friend. Jay Privman was going to join us right after we take this break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, I guess that you folks you say you love hearing, so... I've got his phone number, and he's not afraid to come on the show. Uh, Jay Privman, a guy who is as uh, intelligent and cerebral and friendly as a guy can get. Of course, he covers a lot of the Southern California circuit, uh, also the national events. He's going to be heading out to uh, Belmont Park on on Sunday. Uh, He has won the Red Smith Award for Best Kentucky Derby Story six times. I find that amazing. Jay Privman, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, you know, really, I'm serious. When I, when I read that, I've, I've known a couple guys that have won the, the Red Smith Award, uh, and, and it's an amazing honor. Now, a six-time winner, is there one of those six that stands out to you as the one that you kind of beat your chest on the most, or were 
they, they all of, of equal uh, pride for you. I wish Churchill Downs had continued. The, they, they haven't had that uh, for about the last five or six years, which is really a shame because, you know, it's named after an iconic sports writer and a lot of nice people have won it. And I think it'd be nice for some of the new generation to have a shot at winning it. Um, but for me, I, I think, you know, always the, the first time you win something like that is always the, the most uh, memorable because, you know, to, to be thought of in the same category as some of the all-time, you know, to win an award, some of the pe- best people in the uh, journalists, the sports journalists have won going back over the years is, is pretty gratifying. Yeah, I mean, not only uh, the level of winners that it puts you with, but you think about, you know, the, the many, many people that are writing stories about the Derby. You know, for some guys, it might be the only time they cover horse racing all year. Who, who was the genius that decided to table the Red Smith Award? You'd have to ask Churchill Downs that, um, but they haven't had it for several years now, and it's extremely disappointing. Unbelievable. Heck, I'll pony up for the trophy or whatever you have to get, the plaque. That's, that's insane not to recognize people that are going out of their way in a quality fashion of journalism to honor their most famous race. I, I don't get it, but I, 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 I won't drive it into the ground, Jay. It's just it's kind of crazy. Well, well listen, Pimlico um, does one for the Preakness. Belmont does one for the Belmont Stakes and the Breeders' Cup does one for their event, so um, they're kind of the outlier right now. I, I don't get it. Um, um, well, anyhow, Jay, uh, first Saturday in May, uh, the, the Derby, I, I thought it was a rather formful race, uh, and quite frankly, the Preakness, while a lot of people might be saying upset, if you think about the way the race was run and the conditions of the race, that was a rather formful race. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a shame we're not going to have a rubber match um, you know, between Exaggerator and Nyquist, but uh, let me just get your, your read first on the Kentucky Derby. Well, I, I thought Nyquist showed that he was the you know the best horse on the day. He attended a fast pace and beat 19 others and, you know, was able to remain unbeaten on the day, and uh, I, I thought he ran a, you know, a, a terrific race that day. Uh, Exaggerator certainly ran well to be second, but that day, he was just second best. Uh, even on the gallop out after the race, he was unable to get by Nyquist. So I, I think the, that day, Nyquist was was the best horse and was able to retain his unbeaten record to that point and, and uh, was a deserving winner. Um, now, can the same be said for the Preakness? Was Nyquist a victim of his own pace? I, I think the pace certainly impacted Nyquist, but I think we got to give a lot of credit to Exaggerator. He, he's yeah. certainly not a bum. He was second to Nyquist in the San Vicente to start the year, going seven eighths. He, he won the San Anita Derby in his third start of the year. Uh, he was a very strong second in the Kentucky Derby. So when you think of how far he was beaten in the Kentucky Derby, I mean, going into the Preakness, basically, if Nyquist regressed the lengths and Exaggerator improved the length. That that was potentially going to be the difference, and it ended up being more than that. Uh, but I think the pace was it was obviously faster in the Preakness than it was in the Derby. But that's how Nyquist has won most of his races. And I, I I think what happened was they sent him away from the gate with the expectation that after they were able to clear that the 
relatively inside draw they had that when they asked him to to settle a little bit going under the wire into the first turn that he that he respond to that under Mario Gutierrez and he didn't and there was a horse pressing him from the outside and he just he never really settled and and, and I still thought ran a courageous race but that's so that's the way the race unfolded that day and exaggerator certainly took advantage of it and probably improved off of his, his derby as well so it's, it's been I think both those horses though have established themselves to this point as the clear top two of this crop well, it would be nice uh, if we got another era of Ali Dar and a firm for the next generation uh, uh, to witness. As you said, Nyquist has always been right there. He comes to the dance when, when he races. I mean, uh, Exaggerator's always been there. Uh, he's never turned down a challenge uh, from Nyquist and has always put in good efforts. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens d- down the road. I'm sure their paths will cross more than once before uh, the year's out. Now, with, with an eye towards the Belmont Stakes, and I'm sure you'll know a, a lot more later in the week than, than you do now, I, really, I enjoyed your, your, your column about uh, Mike Smith and Donnie Van Hemmel uh, uh, hooking up again after a history that goes back 30 years ago. ago. But uh, what's interesting is, is we had some sudden breaking news on sudden breaking news. In actuality, he really does have those hanging down things. Well, he doesn't, actually. I mean, they're... He's been listed as a gelding, and he ha- but he's never been gelded. What he, what he has are two undescended testicles. So he's technically a ridgling, but because of the way he's built physiologically, you know he'll never be able to breed, um, or it's ex- extremely unlikely anyway, because there's it's unlikely that the the heat generated because of where they're located, the, the, the sperm has been able to survive. Right. So, uh, anyway, he, he's... He, he, they're, they're, that's why he was listed as a gelding. They had thought he had been gelded. You know, when he came into Von Hemel, he had thought the owner had had it done. The owner had thought somebody at the farm had had it done. And when they were all at the Kentucky Derby, they started comparing notes and were like, well, you know, when was he gelded? And everybody sort of looked at each other and they came to realize, <laughs> well, he actually never was. Um, so that's, that's the, the situation with them, but it's, I, it's not going to impact. I don't think there's, there's certainly not people lined up now to try and get in on them as a stallion prospect. <laughs> I, I, I did find it a, a very interesting article though. I, I learned a bit and did a little research myself and it, it's hard enough actually for, uh, a horse that's a ridgling to potentially breed, let alone one that has the situation of sudden breaking news. But it's, it's just uh, it's kind of interesting that all the people that handle this horse just just assume somebody who was somewhere along the line uh, had, had gelded him. Either way, um, he's still he's still you know a, a top horse, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, I've been uh, also you know I'm a form guy, and I've been uh, reading an interesting article uh, by your friend Mike Watchmaker, and he is dead right with his headline uh, that came out, I'm going to say today or yesterday, and that's the fact that uh, the dearth of early speed among the Belmont Stakes cast, this is going to be an interesting race. It's really hard to see how it's going to shape up. Yeah, I I agree, and that's going to be one of the interesting things to, to follow over the next week or so is to see... You know, once they draw the race, what the pace looks like. But at at this point in time, it looks like you've got a lot of late running horses like Brody's Cause and Cherry Wine and Creator and Exaggerator and Sudden Breaking News 
Lonnie. I mean, that's what all those horses do. So whoever makes the lead, and let's say hypothetically maybe it's going to be Stradivari, uh, regardless, it looks like the pace will be should be pretty slow uh, in this year's Belmont Stakes unless somebody unforeseen with quite a bit more early speed decides to jump in. Well, you know, you've been around long enough, and you see it every year where somebody sees a horse that makes a huge late run in the Derby or the Preakness, and everybody goes, oh, that's my Belmont horse. But quite frankly, I think history will show that you better be pretty close to the lead by the time you hit the quarter pole, or you're not going to get that mile and a half in first place. Yeah, generally speaking, that's true. Uh, Horses who are deep closers uh, usually succeed because of pace, and so if there's less pace on it, it can negate the impact of their late run. So you need a horse who can be a little more versatile in a situation like that. And that's one thing that Exaggerators has shown. I mean, even though his derby and Preakness, and even going back to Santa Anita derby, the, the, the success he had in those races in terms of how well he performed was fast paces, and he sat back and made a run, but he showed early on in his career, and even in the San Vicente, that he's got some gas if you need it. Uh, so I, I think of, of all the ones that I was mentioning before, that he's one who at least has shown that he can lay a little closer to a soft pace and, and still perform well. Well, it, it's a great story with, with the DeSormo brothers, but I was kind of taken aback after the Preakness where both of them were asking pointed questions about, you know, how great is this to, to do this with your brother, and neither of them really directly addressed the answer. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, I mean, that's something they've, they've done, not just then, but even leading up to the Derby this year. Uh, you know, they've had a very complicated uh, relationship over the years, and I think Marty McGee, my colleague at the Racing Forum, captured it best about three years ago. You can yes. go online and and search for that story. Marty won an Eclipse Award for it, yes. and both uh, Kent and especially Keith were very uh, open and honest about the relationship, and, and, and a lot of the issues stem from some of the battles that Kent has had with, with drinking over the years. Uh, but the, the, they're obviously still brothers and still close, and I, I'm, I doubt very much that Keith would ride for Kent or Kent would ride for Keith if they, you know, didn't like and respect each other. Uh, I think it's it, it's it's just a very complicated relationship, and I also think they want it to, especially in, in, in the case of Keith. I think he wants to be able to stand on his own two feet and be able to say, you know, I'm a successful trainer, and I'm my own man. And yes, my brother is a Hall of Fame jockey, and he's won the Kentucky Derby three times. And he's had all this kind of success, but I can do this too in my own way. And I I think he likes to be able to separate that aspect of it in terms of just being able to, for, for his own personal accomplishment, as though you know, he doesn't want to be in the reflected glory of, of his brother. And I think that's a fair way of approaching it for, for his sake. So that, I think those are some of the aspects of, of, of what you were picking up on post-freakness. Oh, Jay Pribman, wonderfully put, wonderfully put. I, I, I think you, you hit it right there. If people were wondering, are these guys feuding or whatever, yeah, sure, we, we've read about Kent, you know, multiple classic uh, wins under his belt, but who's this guy Keith? And like you said, 
it's his turn to, to, to be in the spotlight, and, and rightfully so. You know, you don't you don't win a, a classic if he just fell off the turnip truck. And uh, I, I think you're dead on with that. And yes, I do urge anyone to go back and read that story that Marty McGee wrote about the DeSormo brothers. I was getting on the elevator at Keeneland the day that that came out, and I looked at Marty. I said you're going to win the Eclipse Award. He says, what are you talking about? I said, that story you wrote on the DeSormo brothers was fantastic. Because it was like he was right there in the room with them, in the car with them, and they were so honest about you know their upbringing and their relationship. It, it was fantastic. So for fans of the racing form and fans of good journalists, uh, uh, tell you, go try to see if you can find the story that Marty won in, in winning his Eclipse Award concerning the DeSormo brothers. Well, uh, we've got Jay Pridman from the Daily Racing Forum. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, I want to ask him about why California is producing all of these great horses. Not necessarily that they're bred there, but they all seem to be training there. Everybody from Songbird to Beholder, California Chrome, Nyquist. And then we're going to take a look at two short fields with a whole lot of class in them in the Vanity Mile and the Shoemaker Mile. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And with me, award-winning writer Jay Pribman from the Daily Racing Forum. And, uh, Jay, you're kind of located out there on the West Coast. And, you know, we, we know that uh, Chad Brown and Todd Pletcher have these powerhouse stables with 150 horses in there, averaging 400000 apiece for sale. But it, it's just amazing that it seems like the real headline grabbers uh, of recent time are based out by you. You get a chance to see all of them, and I name-dropped them before the break. Uh, Songbird, Beholder, California Chrome, Nyquist, um, 
is there any explanation for it, or it's just California's time to shine? Uh, I think that's a major part of it. I think these things are, go in ebbs and flows, and just there's been a nice run of top quality horses coming out of here. Uh, you know, from a percentage basis, there should be more better horses coming out of of Florida from the winter or or, or the East Coast, just because there's more horses back there. Uh, but in recent years, as you've mentioned, there's just been so many good horses coming from here. You know, most notably American Pharaoh a year ago winning the oh, thank you, crown. Yes. Uh, and I think one of the things is there's obviously terrific trainers out here. Uh, Bob Baffert, Gary Hollendorfer, Richard Mandela, guys like that, all all in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and the weather, I think, has been a big factor. And one of the things that happened this winter, especially, is that there was a the forecast was for a pretty significant El Nino effect and a lot of rain, and that really didn't materialize. And I think that was a benefit, obviously, to horses like Nyquist, the Exaggerator. They were able to train through the winter, never miss works, and, and be ready to go. Uh, and, and that, to me, is, at least from the three-year-old standpoint, I think has been really, uh, really helpful. Uh, and, and in the case of Beholder, for instance, I mean, fortunately, she's owned by somebody who didn't want to whisk her off to, uh, to to the breeding shed. Uh, he almost did it a couple of years ago, but when uh, uh, when she got ill before shipping for a sale, he decided not to. He ran her at five, decided he was having such a good time, he'd run her at six, and we're the beneficiary of it because we get to see her run. Well, yeah, it, it's fantastic to see uh, some of these uh, outstanding female horses uh, racing into some later years. Now, we could have another super horse in the making that would remind us of uh, Zenyatta or Rachel Alexander. Songbird is just friggin' awesome, and it looks like Hollendorfer's just kind of taking his time with her and deciding where he wants to throw the dart. Right. As, as you know, she she got sick earlier this year and was sidelined enough to miss the Kentucky Oaks, which was what they were pointing for after she had, had a good winter and winning the San Anita Oaks. And once that happens, uh, they just the priority with her is just to get her right because there's always going to be races for a three-year-old filly, whether it's the summertime Oaks later this month at Hollywood at Santa Anita, or if she's not ready for that, uh, perhaps you ship and, and look at something back east, or you wait till Del Mar. But but that's the nice thing with at her, with her division at this time of year. There's just so many opportunities for a horse like that, and so. The, the more important thing with her is to get her right, and then you can go, okay, now where do we run? Instead of having to say, gee, we really better hurry up here because we're going to run out of time to make the deadline for a race. Well, Hollendorfer always does what's best for the horse, and he seems to make outstanding decisions on where to place him. So it will be interesting. I'll be interested to see if she decides to leave the uh, sunny climes of California uh, since the Breeders' Cup's out there this year and everything. Uh, it, it will be interesting. Um, I had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with Art Sherman last month uh, out at TaylorMade Farm. What a class act he is, and you've got to admit, California Chrome is a story in his own right. Yeah, I know. He, he, I'm really looking forward to seeing him get back in action. He's supposed to run twice this summer at, at Del Mar with the Pacific Classic being the second of the two scheduled starts. and. His race in Dubai was sensational. Not only how well he won, but when you consider that his saddle flipped during the race, and he still won off like he did. And you're right about Art. He's just he's just a great guy. I couldn't be happier for a guy who's 
devoted literally his entire adult life to being in the game versus an exercise rider than a jock and now a, a trainer and to have this kind of success with with the horse like this, it's just it's great because he's a really really good guy and I could be happier for him. Well, uh, Jay Pribman, my producer's telling me I only got about four minutes, so I've got two races. They're not full field, but but certainly uh, you just you just can't hand the trophy over to beholder. Uh, it's great that in a field of seven to have two national champions going together. The other horse I'm talking about was last year's three-year-old Eclipse Award winner, Stellar Wind. I still think that Beholder, you got to knock the crown off her head, but certainly Stellar Wind's not ducking her. No, I mean, this is the, you're talking about the vanity, which is the, to be run on Saturday, Stellar Wind against Beholder. It'll be the first start of the year for Stellar Wind. Uh, and Beholder's had one race already if, uh, about uh, uh, just it'll be about four weeks between starts for her and so she's all set she's had the one comeback race and it'll, obviously Stellar Wind would really have to step up her game to beat Beholder but it's really neat that these two champions from last year are meeting in this race Terrace has also entered I'm not certain she's going to run uh, there's a good chance she's going to wait for the 7 eighths race against Nails the Triple Bend later this month and and run in that, but, you know, if, uh, I'm sure if something happened unforeseen to one of the, the big two, you might see a, a, a different move. But I don't, I think if the race, if the field stays intact as entered, uh, I don't think you'll see Terrace, but you will see two champions, as you mentioned, in Stellar Wind and Beholder. Uh, it, it will be fun to, to, to watch, and hats off to the people from Spendthrift for keeping Beholder in training for us to watch. Well, uh, the other grade one on Saturday is the one mile on the turf uh, at Santa Anita, the Shoemaker Mile, the 400000 up for grabs. And it looks to me as though heart-to-heart will be the horse with the target on his back. Certainly so, because he goes for the lead, and he's obviously uh, got a terrific record with three wins in his last four starts. The only loss when he got beat by the, the Philly Miss Temple City in the Maker's Mark uh, 46 mile at at Keeneland a couple of months ago, and he'll be the one to catch. He drew he drew the rail, and from a pace standpoint, uh, he's going to go for the lead, but you know, Midnight Storm is a fast horse, and he's drawn outside of him. Uh, the interesting thing with that is that Rafael Bejarano is, is not usually one to, to send a horse, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of tactics he ends up using with Midnight Storm, because Midnight Storm is real good if he can sit off of a target. Uh, I, I thought one of his best races was in the Seabiscuit last fall at Del Mar. If he gets that kind of trip, I think you can see him r- run a much better race than he did last time when he tried to go out to a mile and an eighth at Churchill Downs. And uh, you got to remember, turn the clock back, uh, he ran uh, in the Shoemaker Mile last year and as favorite and missed by just a half of length. Talco got up to take that one. So it's certainly uh, it, it's a good distance for this horse, and uh, the horse can win at Santa Anita, Midnight Storm. But again, uh, if you believe in buyers, heart-to-heart is the one to beat in the Shoemaker Mile. Uh, that is for sure, and uh, it'd be nice for Brian Lynch, who spent some time out here early on in his career, to come back out here and try and knock off a grade one. Well, Jay, listen, uh, number one, thank you for joining us on Winning Ponies, and number two, uh, have a, a, a safe, exciting, and uh, great trip uh, to the Big Apple. I know you're heading out on, on Sunday, and certainly there's a 
more than one big race on on the card that day. It's uh it's going to be hard not to turn the uh, the channel off watching Belmont on Saturday. And actually, you've got six stakes races on Friday too, so plenty to get your teeth into for sure. Yeah, it's like a Breeders' Cup kind of weekend at, at Belmont Park. I think Martin Pans has done a terrific job grouping those races, and this will be the year when it's going to show why it was valuable to do that because there's not a horse going for the Triple Crown, and yet you're still going to get a great card and a giant handle on a, on a Saturday card. We've also got the Met Mile and the Just the Game and the Manhattan and all those big races in addition to the Belmont. Absolutely. I mean, the horses... Uh that have come out of those races have gone on to be, you know, legendary as racehorses and as sires. So it'll, it'll be uh, fun to watch all of them. Like you said, it's about probably the closest thing we'll get the Breeders' Cup Day would be Belmont Day on next Saturday. So, Jay Pribman, thanks a million for being with me. I always love your insight, and I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I always enjoy it, John. Thanks for having me on. Okay, we've been talking with the Daily Racing Forum's Jay Privman. Want to remind everybody, you can go to Amazon.com and pull down the golden age of New Jersey horse racing. I want to thank Linda Doherty for being on the show with us, too. I also want to thank my friends at Glover Sports Hunting and Shooting Recording Studio to allow me to broadcast here in northern Kentucky this evening. Remember, when you go to the races, ladies and gentlemen, bet with your head not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.